Hi, this is Larry Pasca, Executive Director of NCSS, the National Council for the Social Studies. This episode features an author published in an NCSS journal. Please enjoy. You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators and the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Happy birthday, Michael. Hey, you remembered. Well, no, I mean, it's not really your birthday, is it? Not at all. No, no, no. I didn't no. think so, but I meant more like happy 100th podcast birthday. What? Of course I do that. It's our 100th episode. I know. Isn't that crazy? When we started this, I just, I don't even remember the conversation. It was probably, you know, started with Twitter DMs and the idea we should record, you know. You called me. Like, you're all formal. You're like... Um, Michael, I was thinking that maybe we should do a podcast <laughs> and I was like, I rehearsed okay. my lines, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. No, you were, <laughs> you were very nervous. It was, it was cute. I, I remember I was up at the attic at my desk when it was in the, the other room and I was like, oh my goodness. Yes. And so, and we'd known each other from participating as kind of the, you know, co-leaders of SS chat and we've been doing that for years and, and this, you know, we have lots just, of good discussions. I was like, we right. should record these and have other it's people It's the there. next natural step. Yeah. Well, and so we started episode one and two were us interviewing each other to see, like, would this work? And then we interviewed my department chair in episode three. So we were we didn't actually have, like, a real outsider until we got to episode four. And so it was still, was some, it was still someone we knew, but we had in Wes Fryer, who does all kinds of cool work, and he talked about inside-outside sharing. Right. And I remember the first time I emailed someone who I read their article, I'm like, oh my God, I want this person. That was episode 18, Joseph Boyle. We talked about note-taking strategies. And like I was in Albuquerque and we had issues filming it or recording it, but finally we did. And I was so excited because the article was really good. Yeah. And it was just neat to connect to people. Yeah, it's really neat to you know connect with people who are doing good work. What have some of your favorite episodes been since we've started? That's interesting. I feel like that's like choosing your favorite student, which I don't have any for the record, uh, <laughs> except for perhaps, well, no. So I really enjoyed the using films effectively with Jeremy Stoddard, mostly because we got to talk about Godzilla, which I really do enjoy quite a bit. We had a great panel discussion on the first five days of schools with some of my friends, local Massachusetts teachers, and actually who Quinn Rollins was also a part of that. We talked about black critical patriotism. Um, mm-hmm. That was really interesting. We had uh, we we're talking about teaching American slavery standards. Of course, I loved having Bruce Lesh because that was part of our book club discussion. That was great to have him on Wait, to talk with historical thinking. You just liked that one because that was the episode I wasn't on, right? And I didn't. I got to ask all the questions. I, I know. Him, hang out. 
I don't know. What would you, what some of your ones that stand out? There's, uh, I, you know, I, I kind of group them into different categories. It's like when I do my favorite movies, you know, I always am like, you can't have like your favorite movies. Like there has to be a separate comedy category. Cause I can't like oh, right, right, right. rank like comedies ahead of like these super serious movies that have really impacted me. So it's, I feel kind of the same way with this. Like I've, I've loved some of the episodes that were kind of playful. I really liked when we had Chris Heffernan on and talked about teaching geography. I loved Mark, Mark Helmsing's episode is really fun. Cause that was the Snow White one. Yeah, that was the infamous Snow White episode. When you mentioned Snow White and Mark had a curriculum I for that. I can't believe he went with that. Yeah, yeah, it, that's what Mark does. And then, you know, Tamara Schreiner, someone that neither of us knew before she published in TRC, and we talked to her about data visualization, and it was oh, just she was fun. Cool. She was just like a cool person, and I really enjoyed talking to her. Our most popular episode, of course, and one of our friends of the pod, Annalisa Halverson, the social elementary social studies one is one that I use in my classes. I mean, it's really great to hear her talk about it. So those are like a bunch of ones I just remember really, really enjoying. But I've also liked the the ones that really deal with critical issues, you know, yeah, and challenge us to think about issues. We're both white bearded men. That's true. It's true. And that could have been an alternative name for the podcast, right? Men with beards. Kind of a bearded playoff. Bearded pod, yeah. Yeah, kind of playoff men in tights. And, oh, <laughs> great movie. Then we'd have, that could go with our musical theme we've had in some of them. We could sing the song, right? We talk a lot about music. Yeah. Like mostly musicals. And I think... We're podcasters. White men. I'm not going to try to sing it. I'm not going yeah. to try to, yeah, on the spot. That wasn't going to work. Oh, but, we actually have our guest already on. And just so we can, because she's kind of hanging out in the background. Genevieve Gaffrey, how are you doing, by the way? I'm doing really well. This is a special moment for me here it is it is just because you're you happen to also have your mic on it's good <laughs> to acknowledge the fact that you are here genevieve is one of our listeners who's on as a guest today yes it's really exciting i mean i think one of the reasons we wanted this to be episode 100 is because you have been very affirming of this podcast when i see you at the social studies conference once a year i remember the year before one of my favorite things you said to me is you like said i've listened to the podcast i feel like i know you and i was like Genevieve, I do know you, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I feel like I know you really well. Isn't and Michael as well, even though I had not met him. I know we just met a couple weeks ago. I feel yeah. the same way. I have podcasts I listen to and have met the people, and I feel the exact same way that you feel. And so we're just we're just thankful for it. you know anyone that listens and enjoys the podcast. And I know when we go to the big social studies conference, people come up and say nice things. And it's weird because we record these, and like it's hard to imagine people really do listen to them. That's cool. My mother stopped at one point, just so we're fully aware. I think around, uh, yeah, she doesn't listen. She was one of our first avid listeners, but now she does not listen anymore. If you've noticed, like, we've gone radio silent on Michael's mother since she quit <laughs> yeah. listening. Like, we, she, we referenced her a lot in early episodes. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I started listening to you early on when I was trying to decide whether I was going to go into higher education or not. And you guys were actually pretty instrumental in helping me make that decision because I was a classroom teacher for 12 years and I, it was a big jump to go into, you know, the doctoral world and hearing all the different, all the different scholars really talking to them and not just reading their work. It really personalized it and, um, it made it the whole world really fun. So thanks. Thank you. That was great. Michael, how are you going to put that comment on your fridge? You're going to have to do. I know. You, you have to get it like a tape player that you can just play it. It's on your. Well, fridge. she, we do because you did leave us a five star review, I so did. you're. It's already on. You're already on my fridge. I know. I've had. I had my whole family listen to you guys read my five star review on yes. your podcast. 
<laughs> well, I think that this episode is really cool because it's in it's we're going to talk about some critical issues today, which has been a great area for us as as white bearded men to you know, really think about our role as allies, as advocates for a more just world. And I know a lot of my favorite episodes have been when we've had Nate Bowling on talking about equity issues, you know, oh, yeah. when we had, when we've had people talk about teaching different histories, whether it's Maribel Santiago talking about teaching Mexican American histories or Debbie Reese talking about indigenous histories and Noreen Nassim Rodriguez, Asian American histories. And two of our guests that we really liked, LeGarrette King, Rethinking Black History and Amanda Vickery, who came on the podcast and talked about the complexity of citizenships, of black women, social studies teachers. And this is a good way to invite you on and talk about it because you wrote an article with those two. I did. Yes. And I should say I am white. I, I am actually Mexican and I speak Spanish, but I identify as white and I try to look at the world and my research through critical lens, but I always try to recognize my limitations as a white cisgendered, able-bodied, upper-class women, and as I study controversial issues that more often affect people who are non-white or queer, disabled. And so I believe my research can be applied in many spaces, but I recognize that it might not be generalizable to everyone depending on context. Well, as, as we get into the article, and before we get further that, could you tell us about your background in education? You talked about your teaching experience, which I've been fortunate to hear you talk about some of the the critical work you, you've done in the classroom. Can you tell us a little bit about it? I would love to. Yeah, so I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and through my own education, I always loved social studies, especially when things got controversial or we started talking about things that really mattered in today's world. And I kind of remember being frustrated in a lot of my social studies and history classes that everything kind of would stop around civil rights movement, maybe World War II. We didn't usually, there wasn't usually a strong connection between history and contemporary issues. So as I went into an, an undergrad, I studied political science actually in psychology, but I took an education class that really transformed me because we learned how you could talk about controversial issues and justice-oriented issues with young children. We learned how to analyze texts and media and systems to recognize stereotypes and bias and oppression in today's world. And so that class really, well, it basically inspired me to become an elementary teacher. It was, I was going to be a psychologist and I thought, no, this is, this is it. This is where I realized the intrinsic connection between talking about controversy and exploring relevant, pressing, controversial issues at a young young age and sustainable, equitable societal reform. So I became a teacher. I taught for 12 years. I taught second grade, fourth grade, sixth grade in St. Louis and Chicago and Guadalajara, Mexico. And it was through that time, of course, social studies was my favorite subject to teach. But my favorite thing to do within social studies was discussing the contemporary current events and the deep, complex, controversial issues embedded within them. But I like to work backwards when I was a teacher. I would start with today. I would start with the really hot, relevant issue that was erupting in the news. And then we would kind of dig in backwards, dig deeper. Why? Why are we here? What has happened to get us to this point? So after 12 years in the classroom, I've decided that 
I went to study elementary social studies education and controversial issues and current events more deeply. So I am now a first year doctoral student at the University of Missouri, Columbia. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> I like that your your approach is very much reminds me of the problems of democracy class that used to exist in the country. Now, it didn't always end up like in being enacted like that in practice, but the idea was to look at problems of democracy and then use content as a way into understanding those issues. And it sounds like that's what you did. I also like yeah. that you had two radioactive spider bites that inspired you to make changes. That. Yes, I knew you would. And that's been referenced <laughs> yeah, many times. Absolutely. Oh, I had, I've had so many in classrooms. I had to choose that one or two, but so many, even at my, at the elementary level, I remember my third grade teacher doing a wealth inequality activity where we all had to pick a number out of a hat and all the threes got nothing and all the twos got pretzels and water and the ones got to choose their own soda and chips. And it was kind of her way of saying this is a microcosm of the world and look at you guys are in the top percent, you know, in the high income and the rest of the world. It was, I don't know if that's exactly how it went because it was third grade, but it was really impactful in my life and I remember it. So Anybody who says that what happens in elementary school or even in your undergraduate classes doesn't make real impact, they're wrong. <laughs> That's, there, there's a, an improv game in which you're given a, a card and you don't know which card you have. It's either a one, two, or three. And then you have to figure out, you have to treat other people as their numbers because it's a status game. Mm, yeah. And then like you figure out where you fall in line and then you kind of become that. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah the simulation is pretty powerful. So it's interesting that you're really into controversial issues because I feel like today a lot of people are scared about attacking those, about discussing that. I know that I've been involved in a, a series of, and I know, Dan, you've been in some of them, a series of, of a Twitter DMs where teachers are trying to figure out how to incorporate these. And they're almost afraid to do it, talk about it in a public place too, as well as then bring it back to their class. So it's interesting that you really went into it, whereas I feel like a lot of teachers are frightened of, of the controversy. Yeah, I think, I think those fears are real. I don't think that, that we should gloss over them and say it's not a big deal. But, you know, there's a lot of research exploring why teachers don't teach controversial issues or current events. And they're typically involved uh, fears of parent backlash or administrative sanctions or creating uncomfortable or upsetting environments for especially their mar marginalized students are not knowing enough not having time due to standardized testing, pressured, you know, dominated by math and literacy. So there are a lot of reasons, but I'm really interested in researching why we do it anyway and why we should do it anyway. And there are, we, we know the wonderful social studies researchers that have been out there for a while have shown us that there are a lot of benefits both to society and the health of our democracy and to students individually. We know that there are, when, when learning about controversial issues, we see improvements in their content knowledge, critical thinking skills, conflict resolution skills, long-term civic engagement, empathy, their ability to detect bias and misinformation, many benefits. So yeah, yeah, there are lots of fears out there, but it's, I think it's really about talking more about the reasons we do it anyway and all that research that shows how important it is and the risks of silence. And I know the 
research has actually been really helpful to me. There's some good practitioner articles I use with my students. You know, Diana Hess has done a lot of work and been recognized in the social studies and Walter Parker, some other famous people that have, have helped to think about like different ways and just reading about like ways that you can kind of suspend, you can get students to suspend their judgment and think about issues. Because I think the problem a lot of times exists, especially in the higher grades, is students are already starting to form opinions or they get opinions from their parents. And so mm -hmm. part of it is to get them to step back and actually think about the issues in a different way. And so the problem sometimes comes when we don't have any pedagogical, you know, uh, strategies for doing that. And we just go, here's a controversial issue. And then like, we don't have anything else. And I think sometimes that can be problematic. But so before we go further, I think I have a feeling you're about to start telling us about the article that you, uh, like Eric King and Amanda Vickery wrote. And so sure. let's first give you a congratulations on your publication. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> so the article is published in the November, December 2018 issue of Social Education, and it is titled A Pathway to Racial Literacy using the Let's Act framework to teach controversial issues. Can you tell us about it? Yes, absolutely. So a couple of years ago, I decided to present a workshop on how to teach controversial current events at the St. Louis Educators for Social Justice Conference. I wanted to present it in a way, the, the way that teachers would really remember. So I started to kind of write out the way I do it. And I, w I was reading a lot uh, about this issue and the, the research that's been done on it already. And so I kind of took all the recommendations from people like Diana Hess and Walter Parker and, and I put, and I just sort of, and, and the, the Let's Act framework, the acronym Let's Act kind of emerged. And I hoped that would kind of stick with teachers as, as uh, when, a, when a controversial current event erupts in the news, they got to think, okay, let's act. What do I do? And so, Teachers yeah. Teachers love acronyms. Yeah. Yes. I know. I know. I, that's I all like we need that. is another acronym, though. <laughs> uh, that one's kind of motivating, though. I like that acronym. I don't like the ones, some of the ones, but I like that one. I'm okay. ready to do something. Yeah. And so, lucky for me, Dr. LeGarrett King came to my presentation at that conference a couple years ago, and he asked me to present it again in his elementary methods course and at his Black History Conference he started last year at the University of Columbia. So he became pretty familiar with my framework and we would speak about its connection to racial literacy and his work. And so he asked me to co-author the article that he was working on with Amanda Vickery in, in social education. I love Amanda Vickery. I think she's just she's just delightful. We spent a lot. Of, I feel like I talked to her a lot at the conference. Oh, she is extremely brilliant. In her, um, I always remember her story, and I reference it a lot with our students because they often ask about um, what issues we should address in the classroom. And she told a really good story on her episode about, and I shouldn't say good story, she told a sad story on her episode about being prepared to discuss slavery in her class and being really excited to learn about it and have discussions about it, and then the teacher skipped the topic. Yeah. And that was really heartbreaking to her. And I do remind students of, you know, when you're fearful of teaching a topic, who are you thinking about and, mm. and whose who's past and whose futures are we really thinking about? And so that story has always stuck with me. So it sounds like you guys have a, a pretty solid team to work on an article like this. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, that those risks of silence, that, the message is like, 
as you guys have talked about, the null curriculum that students learn when we don't talk about something, when there is clearly there's societal unrest and there's these huge issues among us and then we're silent, we're teaching them that the political realm is not important, that some people's experiences are not important or their suffering is not worthy of discussion and that they are not powerful in solving the problems in our society. So how can the Let's Act framework help us discuss controversial public issues? So Let's Act, Let's is all about studying the controversial event, the current event. So L is for listen, E is for educate, T is for talk, S is for search. And then the act part of the framework is about going deeper and unearthing the controversial issues, the historical complex issues that are embedded in the controversial current event. So the first letter, which is L for listen, I find really funny because you guys recently had on Molly and Hillary who spoke about the importance of listening. And that that was like their entire a topic was how important it is to listen to their stu- to students and to each other. And so I was happy to hear that since it's the first letter of my framework. But listen is important, not just about what students know about the controversial event or issue, but listening should really happen from day one, from the summertime. Like since the moment you get that letter, the list of names in your class, it, doing whatever you can to get to know them, to get to know your students on a deep level, asking them not just what's your favorite color, what did you do over the summer, but learning about their family backgrounds, traditions, values, and having a disposition that you generally want to hear and understand them and listen to their stories. Home visits is a great way to to li- to be able to listen to families over the summer. That's something I did every year. Or if you can't, asking them to write a letter to you about their children and about their family or just even a questionnaire. But so all year long from the very beginning, good listening from the teacher. You could do daily class meetings, restorative justice circles when conflicts arrive and treating each student as if they are an expert in their lives or in something and listening very closely. So setting this tone that that we are all listeners like you said in your last episode, Michael, we have two ears and one mouth. <laughs> My third teacher is so smart. Exactly, exactly. Yes. And also a great book that to start the beginning of the year, there, there are a lot of books that, that set the tone for listening, not just from the teacher to the students, but for the, the students to listen to each other is one that I learned from you, Dan, from a past episode called Seven Blind Mice and about how we really need to listen to each other so that we can learn multiple perspectives uh, so we understand the whole issue. So the L is all about listening in terms of getting to know the students and listening to each other. And then when after you worked on building that safe, respectful listening culture, then the students tend to feel more psychologically safe and emotionally prepared to explore controversial current events. So then when a controversial current event abrupts in the news, then it's you have to listen to what they know about the, the event or the issue. So usually when I go through the, the framework, I pretend that we're actually going through a controversial current event. So pretend that Colin Kaepernick just took a knee during the national anthem and everyone's freaking out. People are angry. People are angry at the people who are angry. 
and the president's calling players expletives and family members are attacking each other on social media and everything's crazy. So that is when you realize, okay, I need to use this left act framework. And that's when you listen. The L is for listening about the student's prior knowledge through surveys, reflective essays, KWL charts, whatever you can to, to gather their knowledge. That That's such a tremendous start. And I think listening is one of the most important things teachers can do. And we're so prepared and the system prepares us to talk and to mm-hmm. do stuff and to cover content. One of my least favorite phrases, I have to cover things. But like listening to students, you know, if we want, if we need to put it in some kind of educational jargon, it's formative assessment, right? We are understanding what they understand, their place. We're, we're preparing ourselves for the next conversation. But one thing you mentioned that really stood out to me is that you do home visits. And mm-hmm. what an incredible way to know people. And I think a lot of times when I mention that, I know I know, I learned about it first from Louise Smoll's work. And a lot of people are like, can you do that? Can you go to people's houses? I know Michelle Pfeiffer did it in Dangerous Minds, but can you really do it? Mm-hmm. Um, she also, her classroom management was Kung Fu. So that's not the best <laughs> movie to learn about teaching. So, so she's also a white savior in that movie. All yeah, kinds of problems. a little problematic. A little problematic. A <laughs> lot problematic. But so what? what were home visits like? And to get to actually see students in their homes and listen to them and their families. What, what Can you tell us just a little about that? Absolutely. It's, I absolutely love doing it. And the first year I did, I, I heard about it on NPR. There was somebody talking about the research behind home visits and what an impact it makes in that relationship. And so I did it just on my own. I sent a letter home the first day of school saying I'd like to set up a uh, appointment with you. I'll be calling you. I call. I've never, over many years of doing home visits, never had anybody say that they didn't want me to come over. Now, eventually, I ended up at a different district that actually pays the teachers to go do home visits. It's a part. It's a part of the program. The whole district does it. So, wow. Yeah, and it's it's really it makes complete sense. You know, we we spend right. so much time with these people and the the parents and the teachers know these kids and we really should be communicating. And it's such a great opportunity to listen to the families about the student, about their, their backgrounds. So yeah, you just go in and you, I had a list of questions, but it really goes in a lot of different directions, but you learn a lot, not just from the questions you have prepared, but you know, I walked into one house and there are 26 animals in the house and I, I, you have to go, okay, this is what, so that way when that girl later through the year had a hard time getting her homework done, you know, I had a, you brought a goat into a the classroom for what was going on. Yeah. I mean, you see a lot of, a lot of things and <laughs> yeah, but really fun time to just kind of get to know each other and build some trust, you know, build mm-hmm. some solid relationship. I have, an, I have an education reform idea. Let's take all the money we're giving to Pearson and give it to teachers to go do home visits. Mm-hmm. I would support that plan. I always thought it'd be interesting. So do, do like, is there dinner served? Some people do. Some people bring out the coffee and the That's platters true. of things and others have, it's just, you know, sit, talk in the living room. A few kids where if they have to come in the middle of the year, they've, we've ended up just maybe, maybe a few times we've gone to like a coffee shop or something. I never got the feeling that it wasn't that they didn't want me in the home. They just, yeah. it, would, it was going to be easier, but really going to homes was, yeah, just really fun. And they, they always saw it as a great gesture. And 
it it did take some extra time. I mean, it, it's time. So the best way to do it is to do it over the summer. If you can get their phone numbers and addresses over the summer and get that out of the way, do it, do it, you know, before day one of school. It's better. It's really cool. In other ways you talked about doing the autobiographies that was, um, or, or other surveys and that can also help to, to build your, your community. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So moving forward on the framework, yeah. what is the E? Sure. So E stands for educate. So that's where you take what you learned from listening and you fill in some gaps. So I think really importantly, it's really important to do vocabulary activities. It's really hard to talk about Colin Kaepernick and him taking a knee if you don't know the words protest or racial injustice, patriotism or police brutality. Those are all words that students are going to have to understand. So giving some background knowledge using videos, news articles, photographs from as many perspectives as you can, but just giving the kind of the who, what, where, when, so they have a general idea of, of, of what's happened. And then the next phase of the framework is where the talking starts, the students talking to each other. But I think it's really important that the teacher at this point facilitate an activity that allows the students to talk in small groups in a way that allows them to discuss the issues, but not but does not force them to take a position. So one way to do that is to print out perspectives, different perspectives on the controversial current events on different pieces of paper. And the students are asked in in small groups or partners to read the perspectives and sort of sort them along. You can start with something really easy, like these are perspectives that support Colin Kaepernick and these are perspectives that disapprove of Colin Kaepernick and what he's doing. And then you can ask them to sort them into legal perspectives versus moral perspectives. Or then you can get into more like, okay, this seems like a fact versus a potentially needs to be fact-checked fact check perspective. And you can kind of start having them sort them. So that way they're not having to talk about their own perspectives yet. They they might agree with one of them on the paper, but they don't have to own that yet. They can just say, well, this person might think this, that, you know, it's kind of, they're a third person in the, in the scenario. So it's they're talking seems, about the issue. It, it seems like there's a lot of critical thinking skills when you're doing this various sorting and, and you're thinking about the same thing in very different perspectives. Mm-hmm. That seems like a really neat activity to get more into like the deeper issue. Yeah. And it's, what people have said to me is that it's a safe feeling too, because you're not having to put yourself out there too much. But right, like you said, you're you're critically thinking about the issue without kind of trying to take some of the emotion out of it, even though it is emotional. And but it's it's you're you're allowing for that critical thinking, like you said. And it reminds me of the seven blind mice, who aren't actually <laughs> blind. It's a metaphor, and my <laughs> students sometimes at the end are like talk about the, they blind. See the whole time well sometimes we'll mention it like they're blind at the end i was like well we just looked at the whole thing and they were always looking at something <laughs> so it's always a good <laughs> but i that book ed young it's really good i already have I seen it. after you mentioned it now i see connections but that's what i do that book helps me see connections always too 
different parts yeah, of the Yeah, it's like each one of those little pieces of paper could be a different mouse. So you could even as an elementary teacher, cut the paper in the shape of a mouse. Right. And talk about how these are all different perspectives. And in order to understand the whole picture, you have to listen to each other and listen to all the perspectives. For So for anyone who's not read the book, yeah, it's, it's seven mice who see different parts of an elephant through their own lenses. They're all different colors and they see in their colors. And then in the end, they are able to see a wholeness about it. And there's interesting discussions, right? You can even do racial discussions through it because the white mouse figures it all out and the colored Mm -hmm. mice don't. And so uh, (laughs) we actually start talking about race with that book, even though that wasn't the intention of, that wasn't the intention of the author, but it's a great book for thinking about suspending your judgment and looking at things from different perspectives, which is good teaching, I think. Absolutely. I love it. So that's the let's part. This is very interesting. I like the way you're kind of framing this so far. I feel like it is pretty doable and it does take a little bit of like the scariness out of it, it seems. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what teachers, when I've presented it with teachers, they think, okay, and how do you, where do you get those perspectives? And I always say, just Google, you know, Google pros and cons or perspectives on, and it's pretty easy. And you don't have to have every single perspective out there, just having like six or eight different perspectives or, or kind of thoughts on the current event are good. And then you can have blank sheets too, that students can write other perspectives they have heard other right in, in a very respectful way, of course. But so if there's a perspective that's missing, they can fill it in or they can always fill in their own. But yeah, it just kind of gets it all out there. Like what do people think? You know, some people think it's it's and it's you can start the sentence by saying some people think that it is disrespectful to kneel during the anthem to the military and then but other people think this is a first amendment right and he has the right to protest you know anything he wants and any way he wants and you know so there that way you're saying some people think instead of i think and you think i dig it i dig it and yeah. we're not even acting yet yeah. I feel like there's a whole other word, which is really neat. I like the way that it is broken up into two different words that clearly are going to, I imagine, have two different parts of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, you yeah, do well, it because it's your work. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Well, the S of let's is kind of a reflective time. It's search. So search within yourself. So after you've done this activity where you're really talking about all these perspectives and learning a lot, searching within, reflecting on the activity and the issues and the event that you've been learning about, but then also searching to the outside world. And this is really the inquiry, where inquiry starts, and students could be given time to write down their questions. What questions do they have at this point? I mean, they've always, even adults, have tons of questions. Once they really think about all these perspectives and everything that's happened, and well, what, you know, what are, what are, what about this or what's going on here? And so um, giving them time to really write and reflect and uh, write down questions is a really important part of the inquiry process. So that's the, that's the let section. And then the act starts with analyze. So analyze is really about going deeper, not just about the current event. So the current event, I like to visualize it as the tip of an iceberg. The Colin Kaepernick taking a knee during the national anthem is really like this tiny tip of an iceberg, but there's this mass of an iceberg underneath the ocean. And it's our job at this point to unearth that, that complex mass 
And um, you can do that in a lot of different ways. And so children's literature is one way that I've done that. It's specifically with this topic, I've used something happened in our town, a child's story of racial injustice. And I would read that along with American flag books. And it helps us go deeper into the history of American flags and the history of racial injustice. That's, that's the part of the mass iceberg that we're exploring. You can do a historical analysis to go deeper because there've been many athletes throughout history who have protested racial injustice. So doing a, like a matching activity with athletes, their pictures and their names and how society responded to the different athletes who have protested racial injustice. Um, systems thinking is a really exciting tool that I love to use to help students go deeper. Systems thinking's activities are based on the idea that it's important to recognize the circular nature of our world and having an awareness of the role of structures that create conditions that we face. And there tool yeah, and there there are tools like behavior over time graphs and connection circles and stock and flow diagrams. There are all these tools where you can talk about the controversial issue in systems instead of just events. I'm going a little bit deeper into that because I don't exactly sure. know how I would do it. Absolutely. I mean, these, again, are just examples of how to go deeper. So you could start brainstorming all of the factors that are at play in the Colin Kaepernick event. So you could start, you could ask the students, what is, what are the, some changes through this event? And they would start, they could start brainstorming, gosh, any emotions, it could be anger or protests or kind of going back to those vocabulary words. And then you brainstorm those around a circle And then you ask the students to make connections between the circle. So what caused what? So, okay, so the kneeling caused the protest. The protest caused the... the, Like the the anger, the... Yeah, and you end up making these feedback loops and how... And then you ask... So then you end up with a circle with all of these terms around it and all these ideas around it. And, but then they're making connections with what leads to what, what causes, what are the cause and effects. And then you ask, where are our, where can we stop a cycle or where's our, where are leverage points? What can we do to stop? Maybe if it's anger, then we can talk about communication. So I haven't actually done this with the specific uh Colin Kaepernick case, but I've done it done a lot when talking about issues of poverty and issues of discrimination. And what ends up happening is kids see all these big problems in the world and it can be really overwhelming. But then they see that like bullying kind of leads to depression and then depression leads to unhealthy choices. Unhealthy mm-hmm. choices leads to smoking and smoking. And then they think they see, oh, okay, so like I can't maybe necessarily stop poverty, but I can stop, I can work towards stopping bullying which has a connection within this system. So they can find a place where they can make some changes. Right, where they have a leverage point in the system. I know that, I think it was uh, Master Yoda who said that fear leads to anger and anger leads to the dark side. I know that he kept trying to find that place to leverage Anakin to make him choose the non-dark side, I guess. I guess the yeah. path of the Jedi. <laughs> Did it work? Uh no. I mean, eventually he turned all right in the end. 
Yeah, you can throw in some positive words. Like, where? what does communication lead to? What is listening? We could put listening on there. When we listen to each other, what does that lead to? And, you know, so it's a pretty open-ended, kind of post-structural type of idea, which is also overwhelming for some people because there's really no, there's not a lot of rules. So, but it's it's one of my favorite ways to go deeper and to help students with their inquiry projects, you know, really go deeper and help them not just learn about the issue, but ask questions about the issue and see their own selves in the system or in the issue itself. The next letter is C for conclude. And conclude is really about taking everything that they've learned and facilitating a deliberation activity in which students prepare statements in response to a proposed question. So this is a very Diana Hess type of activity, you know, where there's a question like, should Kaepernick be suspended for kneeling during the national anthem? And there are many different deliberation strategies and structures. The cult of pedagogy.com has a lot of them. Facinghistory.org has a lot of them. I like fishbowls. Fishbowls work really well for me where there's students, four students sitting in the middle and they prepare statements. But it really is about having students make a decision because that is reflective of a real democracy where there's a vote, there's something, we we make decisions together. And you kind of have to take the knowledge that you have acquired and make a decision. And so after we do that deliberation activity, people, the, the students tend to become really passionate about the way that they feel and the way that they think the problems should be solved. And so that leads us to our the last letter or last word of the framework, which is take action, T for take action. So this is our opportunity where we can, teachers can create an assignment as an opportunity for students to take action. So often early in the year, persuasive essays or letters to the editor can be like a pretty easy way to take action and it can become an assessment. But as the year goes on, they it's really fun to watch them come up with more creative ideas to take action. They've made films, they've done museum exhibits, they could write, they've written speeches, they've done a speech, awareness campaigns. And across the country, my students have never done this, but we saw lots of kids taking the knee with Colin Kaepernick and their own sports games. So that could even be a way to take action or I've seen fundraisers. I've seen a lot of different ways to take action and it, you know, uh, makes, makes the entire lesson come to life. And this entire framework is pretty reflective of the C3 framework, the inquiry arc, because it goes from having to ask good questions, consider possible solutions and consequences, and then communicating and acting upon what they learn. So it's been, that's, that's, that's the culminating ideal in social studies is that we are acting upon what we learn. So I, and I know that Dan hates talking about coverage, but I teach a, a survey course. And so it's World History 2 course, but you know, we have the American History 1 and 2. How long mm-hmm. would something like this take? And again, I realize that we can cut curriculum where need be. I'm just like, how long do you think something like this could take place? Because it seems like it could take years. It could. I, I feel like I have done it 
in a week about a sp from start to finish. And now start, and this is something I didn't mention in the beginning, but I also recommend letting the parents know that you're about to talk about it like the week before. It depends on your relationship with parents, but I would always, so let's say it all erupts in the news. And I usually try like the week before to send out an email to the parents saying, we're about to talk about this next week. So then I've done that. And then I take that next week. And, and I also survey the, the students like that, that immediately. And then I can learn about all of their, their ideas and knowledge. So yeah, like taking pretty much a day to do the educate part, another day to talk, to do the, the spectrum of perspectives and talking. And then actually in that same day doing talking, doing the reflect the, the searching, this, the reflection and the inquiry. And then so that in that hour and day three of going deeper and yeah, the going deeper part you could spend all day, but I've done, you know, just doing that children's literature activity. You could do that in a day or two and then a facility, a deliberation, deliberation activity another day. So and take action. Yes, of course. If, I mean, to take action, that could be part of writer's workshop. That's what I've right. often done is, so it's a little different at the elementary level because you can really integrate these into literacy, a lot of this. Where, it, it seems doable. It actually does seem doable. The the timeline that you talked about, you probably spent a few, like a, a week, a week and a half. That's actually not, that's not going to make or break anything. Dan, we're still going to get to the War of 1812. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, but it's, it's not easy. It's definitely not easy, but I reject the idea that elementary teachers cannot find time to teach social studies. We are required to teach social studies regularly, and I taught it every day, and science. I, I, I went, would go crazy if I was only to teach math and literacy all day without really bringing in exciting historical and contemporary social issues. So I did it and we did great. <laughs> so yeah, I as a high school teacher was always felt lucky to be able to teach social studies primarily. And the one time I had to teach a little science was when I taught psychology and we had to teach the biological mm -hmm. basis and I did not know what was happening. <laughs> Elementary uh, teachers. <laughs> what I mean by that is our elementary teachers are so talented and they have such a responsibility to teach things. But one of the cool things about elementary is you can, the world is naturally integrated, right? So many of our issues that we face aren't separated out into subject areas. And in elementary, I think there's really creative teachers can find ways to do that. And also, you know, check boxes that must be checked by, you know, people in school districts. Yeah. But if we're not doing this work, you know, what work are we doing? And, and I think the, the aim of social studies, as we've often talked about these first hundred episodes, is citizenship. But, but what kind, kind of citizens? Do we want citizens who can talk to each other and also advocate for justice in our world, to advocate for racial justice, to advocate for justice from people different from them to use their privilege or their position to do whatever they can? And so it's really inspirational to see teachers who've done that and are doing that work. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think teachers can, elementary teachers can teach a lot of social studies, social issues, controversial issues in literacy, especially. Although I do hesitate to advocate for the integration of literacy and social studies, just because I've seen so often how 
social studies ends up getting overtaken by literacy standards and teachers become a lot more focused on the text to text connection Mm -hmm. as opposed to what we're actually talking about. Just putting down those literacy standards for just a second and just having a discussion and just listen. That's hard to do. And I think we even struggle with it in the social studies. I've had recent conversations where I think that I'm a fan of the C3 framework, but the taking informed action part, I think, doesn't get its due attention. It's our, it's the most important mm-hmm. part, right? Like in the mm-hmm. end, if we can't translate the informed part into the citizenship action part, then why are we doing the rest of it? And right. And I think that we often tack that on at the end and we're like, if I have time then we'll actually do justice work or we'll actually contact the senator or we'll go into our community. Yeah. Whereas it's like, you know, it's but feels that's like the most important part. It's the most yeah. important part and schools can be an opportunity to do that. And we actually have an upcoming episode where we're going to be talking about taking informed action. Um, Ooh. Yeah, it's going to be very exciting. I wanted to call the episode finishing the path or finishing the, yeah, which was kind of like, uh, it's a Sondheim song with finishing the hat from, the one with the painting of the dotted people. Uh, Study in the park with George. But Dan said that he didn't know what I was talking about. And so I sang it to him and he was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I, to be clear to everyone, I've put my foot down on Michael naming the episodes very hard during these first hundred. No one would know what the episodes <laughs> were. <laughs> you guys are so silly. This brings me back to all the times I've been in my car listening to you laughing out loud and how goofy you guys both are. And here I am. On the podcast. On the the episode. Just as goofy. Just as (laughs) as goofy. Well, and I, and you know, we say this, but I do appreciate I, you know, it's funny because you say this as a fan. I'm a fan of Michael's. Like when we come on episodes, I was like, I always say, I'll say to my wife, I'll I'll be like, Michael's really funny on the episode. I was like, I'm going to listen to that. That's hilarious. (laughs) You guys are great. I think we have some good stuff going on. So what advice do you have for educators for seeking to implement racial literacy and your Let's Act framework? I think that my big pieces of advice are back again to building that family trust, doing those home visits right away in the beginning of the year, communicating with parents as much as you can, and also finding ways to take the framework I just talked about and tack on some standards. Because one of the biggest fears that teachers have is that they, they're worried that they're going to get in trouble. They're going to get some kind of punishment. And there have been teachers who have gotten in trouble or sometimes even fired for talking, t- talking about certain controversial issues. However, the thing I like to point out is that they didn't, A, connect it to any standard when they were talking about it, or B, they tended to just tell one side story. So one example is, there was a court case and where a teacher just told her third grade students that she supported the protesters who were out in the street supporting the Iraq war. And she didn't tell them any part of why we went to war or any, any other perspective on the issue. And then she also, it wasn't part of a lesson plan. It wasn't part of a standard. So those are helpful things to do. If you're really worried about getting in trouble is just having us. And there are many, I mean, just the, the, and the C3 framework itself, or there are many state standards that talk about the importance of making connections between government and today's world. And, you know, there's, there are a lot of standards. 
And another thing to keep in mind is to pay attention to the news and educate yourself. That's a habit that I think, I think it's, you don't have to know everything to talk about controversial issues or current events. Nobody will ever know everything about every topic, but it surely is much easier if you have a habit of paying attention to the news. But don't feel like you have to know it all because nobody knows it all. I've, you know, you have to dive in at some point because that that tends to be a big barrier that teachers feel like they don't know enough to be able to talk about Colin Kaepernick or racial injustice. You know, they so yeah, and then especially with elementary students, not making, not doing, joking or using any sarcasm, making inflammatory comments. And yeah, just making making sure you uh, are really genuinely interested in learning as much as you can about your your students and the issue itself. A, a question that I really hope to explore in my own research moving forward as I watch student teachers teach controversial current events is how they navigate the situation when they have to teach multiple perspectives, but they vehemently disagree with one of the perspectives. They actually find it, you know, inhumane or something. And so there's a lot of research on that already by Diana Hess and people, but I think there's a lot to learn about how people navigate that situation. So I'm going off topic here a little bit. No, (laughs) when you do that research, we'll have you back on to discuss it. Oh, thank you. Then you'll be a friend of the pod, although you really are already a friend of the pod. You're a best friend of the pod. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that was uh, answered the question exactly. Those are things that little practical things. Which is what we need. I see. I would have been pithy. I would have sensed like, oh, if you find a partner, then you can just duet. Well, I do really appreciate that you don't have to have all the answers. And I think some teachers are scared to get into topics that they don't know everything about. And I do an assignment where they write historical thinking questions for picture books, particularly that deal with justice issues in the past. And when they're asking contextual questions about what was life back then like for people, I ask them to ask questions, not just about people who are oppressed and overcoming it, but people who are oppressors. And so asking like why white people thought it was okay to enforce racist laws and is a very difficult question. And I don't think I know the answers to that, but it's yeah. part of understanding the history of the time and the time period in the context. And so when I talk to my students, I talk about it's, we'll ask honestly, what, why do you think they thought mm-hmm. that? And you can talk with students and maybe you can write it down as a continuing research topic to learn about. It's so important that you give them that time and space to interpret that history themselves because so many teachers think that teaching history and social studies especially at the elementary level is about teaching them moral lessons and so they're the teachers doing the interpretation not the students but we know from some research not a ton but we do know that that students do have the capabilities to implement historical thinking and they can investigate author bias and ask questions about contradictory resources. And they are little philosophers. And it is so fun to think and talk with them about these issues. Well, Genevieve Caffrey, thank you so much for finally coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an honor and a privilege and just I'm getting a kick out of it.
<laughs> <laughs> so where can our listeners find you and your work online? I have a website that is called www.genevievecaffrey.com. And the whole Let's Act framework is on its own page. So Ooh. you can get access to the uh, the framework, just, you know, the one pager of the framework and the article, of course. And also I put up a PowerPoint of what I use to present the framework that starts with unpacking the barriers and then a lot of the research to why we do it anyway, and then goes into the Let's Act framework. So that PowerPoint can be downloaded on there. And then I'm pretty active on Facebook, not as active on Twitter, but I do have at Genevieve Caffrey, and I'm also on ResearchGate. Ooh, fancy, fancy. We'll make sure to have links to all of these things, well, most of these things uh, for our listeners. (laughs) We'll be listening and then clicking to download your PowerPoint. (laughs) and to act yes and of course i'll put a link to the podcast episode (laughs) excellent yes (laughs) so again thank you so much for joining us today and we hope to continue the discussion online on your website i don't know how people will discuss it there but we can get (laughs) we can get creative folks and in other spaces so thank you thank you i really appreciate what you guys are doing here for the field it's great thanks at the Visions of Education podcast, we are all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun in creative education or you just want to chat, and why not, hit us up at Visions of Ed. We're on the Twitter, we're on Facebook, and in that mysterious place that I signed us up for and I totally forget what it is. Of course, if you haven't already, subscribe to Visions of Education and have your friends and family subscribe on every device. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. We are on Google Play. And one day you can tell your smart speaker to play us. One day. And if you write us a five-star review, we will read it on the air. I'm talking to you. If you're listening to this, leave us us a five-star review. Why not? It really helps people find this podcast. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 ThinkDeep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast. Signing off. L to the E to the T S. Oh, dude, this is right. great.